Hi friends, my name is Kyle and I get to be the lead pastor of Friends Church Orange. On behalf of myself and our team and our entire church family, we are thrilled that you're choosing to listen to this message and invest in your relationship with God. We believe that he's going to be speaking to you and inviting you to become more of who he created and designed you to be. So if there's anything we can do to serve you on that journey, we invite you to reach out to us. But for now, enjoy this message and listen for God's voice. Yes. Thanks, Bob King and Sean King. Good morning. Good to see you guys. Thrilled that you guys are here. Shh, wait a second. See, no more screaming downstairs. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Everything's fine. I love the, you know, here's the deal. Kids are just honest enough to let you know how they really feel. My bet is some of you were dragged here today and you wanted to scream and you were like, no, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut because I got a free lunch coming. But here's the deal. Uh, we do love what God is doing in our church and we are thrilled to be able uh, to come alongside kids and parents every single week and just help them know that they are seen and they are loved and they are valuable. And so that's something that was planted deep inside me and many of us when we were kids. And so that's part of the journey we're on together. We'd love to have you serve downstairs. Lots of different opportunities to jump in and get involved. God's doing great things here through Friends Church Orange. And for those of you that call this family, you know that. We get to talk about that and celebrate that every single week. Uh, some of you today, maybe this is your first time here, welcome. I'm glad that you guys are here. We, we're honored and thrilled that you would come uh, and be a part of what God's doing here with us today. I believe uh, that you will continue to get a really clear picture of who God is as we walk through his word and through the story today. I believe that you're also going to get a very clear picture of who he created you to be as we walk through his word today. And today, specifically, we're all going to get a very clear invitation to become more of who he created us to be and why that even matters. And so that's kind of where we're headed together as a family. Uh, as we continue our Good Life series, just a question. How many of you have ever learned something from someone? Right, right. This spoiler alert, this should be all of us. Like you're all speaking and talking and you got dressed on your own, I'm assuming today. So you all have learned something from someone. You didn't, weren't birthed with these things. But one of the things I was thinking about this week, looking at this passage, I love when someone, whether it's a teacher or a coach or a mentor or a friend, when they simplify something for me that's really complex. Like when they take something and it's like, what does that really mean and how would I really do that? And they actually tangibly give me specific action to make that possible in my life. A specific strategy to do exactly what it is I'm trying to accomplish. And all of us are familiar with these things in our life. If we look back, your brains are probably turning for me. Uh, one of the things we love to talk about is sports, right? So we go through life, we play sports. My kids all played sports. Some of them are still playing sports. And when they're kids, whether it was baseball or football or whatever, the instructions are pretty simple. It's like, all right, we're going to learn how to play football today, guys. What do I do? Catch this ball. Don't let it hit the ground. Here. Yeah, it's as simple as it gets. What do you want me to do? I want you to throw it to your brother so he can catch it and then go score. Like, that's it. Just throw it. Catch it. Don't get hit in the nose. Like, I mean, those are the things. Here's a baseball bat. Go hit that ball. Like, that's it. That's the extent of the accomplishment is like, just make that happen. One of the things that's been fascinating for me is they've gotten older 
all the specific action that's actually required to make these things possible. Lots of you guys are athletes. You're familiar with this world. To actually hit a baseball for a major league baseball player, there's like 50 things that have to go right every time they swing a bat. It's unbelievable. To catch a football is no more just catch a football. It's how you, your footwork, how you're released from the line, you're catching it high or low. It's crazy to me. All the specific action that had to be taught to them to make these things possible. There's other areas of life we understand this. Finances is one. We start making some money. The biggest thing is, hey, don't spend it all in one place, you know, or don't spend it all. Don't go into debt, right? That's as simple as the instruction gets. But then we start getting older, and it's like we live in Orange County, and it's like, wait, how am I going to survive here? What does this actually look like? Am I ever going to be able to afford a home? What does it look like to really save and invest? Then we start having kids, which is crazy. How am I going to pay for these kids? And then they're going to want to go to college. And how do I pay for college? And then one of these days, I actually would love to retire, but that's never going to happen. So it's like there's specific strategies that financial advisors will give us to make these things possible in our lives. Same thing's true with marriage. I remember a pastor This was the extent of the marriage advice that he gave me when I was considering marriage, right? And this is it. And he goes, here's the one thing you got to know about marriage. And some of you guys have heard this from me. Find somebody who you can fight with. That was it. He walked away. Like, that was it. Like, that's the marriage advice. I'm like, but what does that mean? And as I've gotten older, I realized actually how brilliant that is. But I needed specific action to make that possible. One of the big pieces of that was becoming an active listener. So it wasn't about fighting for fighting's sake. It was about fighting to communicate. It was about fighting to understand. And a big piece of that is listening and really understanding the heart of what's being said. And not only that, you listen and then you ask questions like, is there more? And then you listen and then you repeat it back and you say, so what I hear you say is, and then you mirror it, and you see these. I'm giving you guys great advice this morning, by the way. <laughs> so the bottom line is, we understand a world where we get specific action to make something possible in our life. That's exactly what Peter's going to talk to us about today, as we continue our good life series. So he's been teaching us, reminding us that the good life is life with God. You cannot have a good life apart from life with God been showing us initially, right, all the beautiful qualities and characteristics of that, and then talking to us about how that gets lived out and what it looks like. And then all of a sudden, we find ourselves, and Peter's starting to wrap up his letter to the church. He's kind of starting to bring it to a close. So all of a sudden, he's going, oh my gosh, I have to summarize. I have to simplify. I have to give some specific action so that you know how to live a good life. And so today, what we're going to see is that the good life is a simple life. He simplifies it. He breaks it down and tells us very clearly specific strategies to achieve the desired goal of a good life, a life with God. He's going to tell us first and foremost why we would even want to do this. And then finally, he's going to show us how. And we are going to get to live this out together. We're going to get to practice these two specific things that he invites us into. So grab your Bibles, brought your Bibles, turn to the back. We've been making our way through 1 Peter. 
We're going to look at chapter 4 today, 1 Peter. If you don't have a Bible, I want to remind you, we would love for you to have a Bible. There are always Bibles available for you back there at the Next Steps corner. You can take it with you. It's important that everybody has a Bible. You need to be able to underline and circle and write down when God's, what God is saying to you and when. 1 Peter chapter 4, the simple life. What does he have to say to us? So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude that he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you've suffered physically for Christ, you've finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you'll be anxious to do the will of God. For you've had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. Okay, the first thing we got to see is this is the New Living, so it says, so then, lots of your translations use the word therefore, and anytime we see the word therefore, we have to ask, what is it? Therefore, which means we have to look back. So clearly he's summarizing, he's inviting us to look back and go, okay, remember. Remember last week we talked about suffering, that we suffer, that Christ suffered on our behalf. Therefore, we can have strength through suffering. We have this new life. And so he's saying you're finished with sin. When you identify with Christ and have a relationship with God, you're finished with that. Remember, he paid for all of that sin. And now you're anxious to do the will of God. You're anxious to listen for his voice. You're anxious to receive everything that he has for you, the forgiveness and the grace and the kindness and the compassion. You're anxious to pray what Jesus prayed in the garden. Not my will, but your will, God. I'm living for you. Everything that I have is yours. What would you have me do? All of, and because of all of this, because of this life with God, then he simply says, well, I know that you've had enough. He's like, you've had enough. In the past, those evil things that godless people enjoy, you've had enough of those. You've had enough of the world. You've had enough of that evil. You've had enough of the immorality. You've had enough of the lust. You've had enough of the selfish desires. You've had enough of those addictions. You've had enough of the pain that that creates, chasing your own selfishness. You've had enough of all that. Yeah. <laughs> or have you? See, this is the question that Peter would be asking us right off the bat. Hey, we've been talking about this good life, this full life. Remember all that it promises and everything that it brings. Remember the pain of the world that you walked in and remember all that you've had. In. You've had enough of that, right? Haven't you? Because what he's saying is you won't enjoy the good life until you've had enough of the world. And if you haven't had enough of the world, you're missing out on the good life. You see, he starts with why this is so important. This is a powerful reminder and invitation that he is giving every single one of us today. Have you had enough of the world to really enjoy and embrace the good life that God promises for you? You see, and he understands that this world, we understand that this world, it's temporary. It's fleeting. It's a moment. It's a breath. It's a shadow. All these pictures that God paints about the world. And we understand that. We understand everything we get sucked into, the evil 
the emotional hits of the immorality and the lust and the drunkenness and the wild. How about that? It's like he read some of our journals. And this is like 2,000 years ago. It's like, wow, they knew how to party. And he's like, you, you've had enough of that, right? You know the pain that that creates in your life? You know what it's like to wake up the next day? And not just have to recover physically, but to try and rebuild the relationships that get blown out because of the selfishness and all that. Like, you've had enough of that, right? He understands how temporary and short we understand that. And he's contrasting it, what? With the good life, which is eternal, which is forever. It's not just that there's a hope of eternity, which we talked about in this passage, but it's the power and strength to live right now today the way that not just God wants you to, but the way that you really want to. That you can have the kind of relationships that you get to walk in the fullness of. That you don't have to walk in prisons of shame or guilt or fear or anxiousness or worry because of selfishness. You see, that's, that's what he's promising with the good life, with the simple life. And he's saying, have you had enough? Have you had enough? We all get this. As, you got to understand, as a pastor, there's really only three conversations that I have with people in life. There's three conversations that I have with people when we gather on the weekends and I see you here. There's conversations that I have with people out and around the circle in the city. There's conversations that I have with people through email, and, and here they are. The first one is awesome, because really what I get to be a part of in your lives is celebrations. It's the best. Hey, I want you to meet my new friend. Hey, I got that job that we've been praying about. I get to be a part of engagements. I get to hear about weddings and babies and pregnancies and oh my gosh, new kids and new jobs, new schools. I got into the school I wanted. Ah, oh, this is fantastic. We understand that. That's one. The second one is just the opposite of that. It's just the suffering that takes place in our lives because of the evil in this world. Nothing you could ever bring on yourself. It's just the pain and darkness of the world. It centers around things like disease, cancer, dementia, whatever that looks like, health issues, loss, death, grief, pain, betrayal, abandonment, those kinds of things. It's like, ah, oh, the pain and the suffering and the tragedy that we walk through. And then there's one more. And it's when you haven't had enough of the world. And you've given yourself over to the evil and to the immorality or to the lust of the flesh. You've betrayed relationships. You've betrayed your own self the promises and commitments you made and just the pain of those choices and the agony and the darkness that you walk through. Those are the three conversations that not just I have with you, it's the ones that you have with friends. Generally, they're going to fit in one of those three places. And that's why Peter's stopping at the very beginning and saying, hey, remember, remember, remember the good life. Oh, remember the eternal life. Remember the hopeful life. Remember the holy life. Remember all that that we've been talking about the last five weeks. All of that, to walk in the fullness of it and enjoy it. Remember, have you had enough? 
Don't go back. Don't go back to walk in that. Later, he reinforces this idea of the temporary and the eternal. He reminds us of this in verse 7. He says, the end of the world is coming soon. The end of the world is coming. And we all know it. Many of us are oftentimes incredibly fascinated by it. Lots of times it feels like it's closer than it is. And he's saying this world, remember, is going to end. It's temporary. One day, Jesus will return. He's going to make everything good and everything right and everything perfect and restore everything the way God intended it to be. So this world will end. And there always seems to be a fascination with the end of the world, end times, the last days, right? It seems like there's kind of a buzz around that right now. And here's what's fascinating about this to me. Do you want to know when? Because I'll tell you. Soon. Peter says it. The end of the world is coming. So That's right. You know now. Now you all know when the end of the world is coming. But we have to remember, Peter wrote this almost 2,000 years ago. So it's like, I don't know. What does soon mean? I don't know. And neither did Peter. Here's what's fascinating. He would have heard Jesus himself say, well, I don't know when. Only the Father really knows that. But all of this then forms this backdrop, right? Because he says the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, he's going to tell us what to do. This is fantastic. Because everybody always wants to know what do we do in light of the fact that the end of the world is coming soon. How should we live? And I don't know about you. Some of us were alive for Y2K. And it was like, is that what we do? You know, it's like all of us were alive for COVID. Do we go to the stores? Do we get water and toilet paper and paper towels? Should I get a bunker? What do we need to do? The end of the world is coming. Therefore, or what do we do? Do we just throw ourselves, right? Do we take our bank accounts and go, I'm going to live it up because it's coming soon, baby. So this is my time. I don't know. But Peter does. And this is where he's going to give us the strategy on how to live the good life, the simple life. What will he say? <laughs> the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Well, then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and the energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and all power to him forever and ever. Amen. Right? You get this sense of Peter's going, oh my gosh, okay, we got to make this decision. Have you had enough of the world? Are you ready to live the good life? Yes. Okay, then here's what we do. The end of the world is coming. Oh, here's what we have to do. And he's trying to just break it down and make it simple. How am I going to simplify this good life for you? The good life is a simple life. And a simple life, he says this, do two things. Pray and do good. Pray. And do good. You want to know how to live your life? You want to know the two things you got to do? Pray and do good. Why would he say this? Why would Peter summarize it this way? Well, 
This is just me in the white space of the Bible. I think it probably goes back. We got to remember, we talk about this every week. Peter was one of Jesus's best friends. Remember that? He walked with him three and a half years. And so he got to be a part of all of that ministry and all those conversations. And I bet he was remembering that time that Jesus was having a conversation with a bunch of the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. And not just that, it was them and then crowds and all the disciples were there, which means Peter was there. And remember, they were trying to go, look, there's these 12 commandments and there's all these stories and there's all these letters. And not only that, the religious leaders had powered on another 600 plus commands. They're trying to live in all these things. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And they're going, Jesus, would you just sum it all up for me? Would you tell us what's most important? Would you simplify it and give us the strategy that you're actually talking about to live this good life? And so Jesus does. And he says this, a few of the gospels, here's what the version in Mark 12. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Love God. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Love God, love your neighbor. Jesus boils it all down to those two things. So I bet Peter's going, that's the good life. Love God and love your neighbor. Okay, so what's that gonna look like? He's trying to simplify that in a strategy. If I'm gonna make that actionable for people, if I'm gonna make it actionable, how can they, what would loving God look like? Well, if I'm gonna love God, I've gotta know God. And if I'm gonna know God, I've gotta pray. pray. Because I saw Jesus do that. I remember that he, Jesus would get away by himself and he'd go pray and he'd have these conversations with God the Father. And that's simply what prayer is, right? It's a conversation with your heavenly Father. It's supernatural, it's spiritual, it's mystical. But it's a conversation and communion with God. And what happens in a conversation and communion? with your friends or with anybody you know. There's some talking and there's some listening. And in all of that, what are you looking for? Unity, sense of alignment and purpose, to understand one another, how to move forward together with shared expectations. I mean, isn't that what we want? That's what prayer is. That's what he's saying. He goes, okay, if we're gonna live simply, we've gotta pray so we can really love God and know who God is. And so as I was thinking about this, as God was saying, I go, oh, who embodies prayer for us? Who did God give us as the spiritual leader and trainer and developer of how we collectively hear God's voice? You guys know who that person is, don't you? Sophia. The end of every service, I talk about stuff. I go, Sophia, friends from our church family, they're always right over here by the cross. They would love to pray with you. Who has taught me more in the last five or six years about what it means to pray and get to know God's heart? Come on, Sophia. What does it mean to get to know God's heart? I'm like, you can't understand prayer without hearing from Sophia. Thank you. I'm so humbled to be here. Um, So... (laughs) Um, So prayer has been a journey for me of going from knowing about God to knowing God personally and experiencing the awe and wonder of all the ways that he speaks to us in the Bible, in the still small voice, through dreams and visions, through other people, 
through spontaneous thoughts that pop into my heart and through my eyes, my spiritual eyes being opened in new ways. So here's a recent example of this journey. So a friend of mine made this comment how she feels bad for people who move to the States and they have to change their name for various reasons. And her comments uh, stirred something so deep within me that I began to tear up. So I began this journey of starting to talk to God and ask God about why. So when I was in third grade, my family and I moved to the States from Korea. And my Korean name was a little bit hard to pronounce, so we decided to start using my Catholic name of Sophia. And then when I was getting married, I thought Sophia, Hyunjung, Shin, Lee felt a little too long. So I decided to drop my Korean name off of the official documents. It didn't seem like a wounding at the time, but in processing with God, a part of my identity had been dropped through that. So I started leaning into God's word and doing a study of his word about the topic of name. And it was such a rich, enriching experience. His words was so delicious to me in that season. And then as I continued to lean into the Holy Spirit, I felt like the Holy Spirit was highlighting this longing that I had to, of being known. This longing of being called by my Korean name again and missing that so much. So I was led to uh, call my parents and ask them about my name, and they said that it was my grandfather who chose that name for me, and they said that he was very intentional with it, the name of it, each syllable of it. And then it was my dad who chose my Catholic name, and he said it jumped out of a, a, a book of names, and he just prayed into the meaning of the name for me, and I was so blessed by all of that. And then my mom began to tell me all the things that were happening with my relatives in Korea, the latest, the amazing things that we got to laugh and rejoice over, and some of the terrible, heartbreaking, agonizing trauma that they were walking through, and it just broke my heart. So I wrote it all down in my journal, and I went to God that night, and I just pulled up my sleeves and said, okay, Lord, let's get to work. And I felt like in that space, in the still small voice, God said, sit with me. Just sit with me. So I took a deep breath and I leaned into this space of being still before God. And he said, I want to talk to you about your name because I call you by name. Just like I call the stars out by name, I call you by name. And I call you to be mine and I know you. And he began to speak every part of my name so intentionally. He spoke it out with so much purpose and love and affection. And it was as if he was restoring all of my identity back to fullness. And I felt such assurance in being known by my Heavenly Father. So I continued to lean into this space of being still with God. And one night I was just overwhelmed with grief of all the things that my, my family was carrying in Korea. And I just started weeping over the things that was breaking my heart. And I felt and sensed Jesus so close to me. And he was weeping with me. I could feel his tears were so tangibly real that he was weeping with me. And I was just blown away by his compassion. And then sometime later, it was early in the morning, he, God woke me up. And even though my physical eyes were closed, my spiritual eyes were open. And I saw Jesus coming towards me, and he had my journal with him. And he said, now I'm going to show you 
how you can agree with me in prayer over these. And one by one, he intentionally revealed how I could agree with him in prayer. So I was just agree with him in prayer in Jesus' name. I just would pray with what he showed me and according to in Jesus' name. And every time I prayed in Jesus' name, I saw him tapping his heart like this. So I asked him, why are you doing that, Jesus? And he said, just like you have a longing to be known, I have a longing to be known. And I love being known by you. This is what Jesus said. So I bless each of you, my friends, that you are known by God. And God longs to be known by you. And I bless this journey in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 It's supernatural. It's mysterious, isn't it? But would you expect anything different from a supernatural father, God, the creator of the universe and you? You see, prayer is is the place, it's the connection, it's the pathway, the, the freeway for healing and grace and comfort and wisdom and everything that we're longing for to come. Peter would say that the good life is a simple life and a simple life starts with prayer. It's essential. Second thing he says it's kind of woven all through here. He says, show deep love for each other. And essentially what he says over and over and over again, through healing, through helping, through speaking, through teaching, through sharing, through generosity, whatever it is, he's like, just do good. Loving others. The word love, biblically, we talk about this often here, is always a sense of, of sacrificial action. There's something that happens. We don't love from a distance. We get involved. We move towards things. And he's saying, you got to do good. And that's what he's saying. He's cheerfully share, joyfully be generous. Speaking, it's not just me like speaking God's words. It's speaking encouragement. It's speaking blessing. It's what Sophia just did, reminding one another of who we are. When the world gets hard and those tragedies start collapsing in on our life, we get to hold each other up and remind one another of who God is and who we are and what's available to us. Speak and help tangibly come alongside, meet needs, hold one another up, do what we have to do. And there's two distinct pathways that are woven all throughout God's word, even in this passage. One of them is the idea of we help the family, the church, the body of Christ. We just call that a ministry. He says, you've been given a ministry. You've been given a spiritual gift by God that's actually essential to serve and give and to use as part of the body with one another becomes critical. And the other thing is you've, you've got this opportunity to love the world, and that's our mission. It's to love people unconditionally, but also tangibly, to help meet needs of hunger or homelessness or addictions or fear or anxiety to help change the world with God's love. It happens here as part of our family as ministry. It happens out there. We got to do good. And why would we want to do that? And what does that look like? Well, I think the best person 
to help share that with you is the person who's taught me more than anything I know about this, and that's my wife, Holiday. And lots of you know that Holiday is the one who helps lead all of the pathways with who we are and the ways that we do good, both here as a church. Hi, come on, honey. Both here as well as out there. Hi. Um, so sweet. Isn't God so good? Um, just listening to Sophia and how he wants to speak to us. And I know this gets overwhelming you here. Oh, do good. And you're com- you just got here to church and getting here to church is hard. I have four kids and I know how hard it is to get to church. And then to hear something like, okay, get out there and do good. Um, it feels overwhelming, especially with how l- hard life is right now. But I want to tell you something that our God knows that. Not only does he promise that if we do good, will it bless us? He actually, scientists prove this, that it actually changes our health. Isn't that crazy? Doing good actually physically changes our health. Now science proves this, this is what's crazy. Evidence shows that helping others can also benefit our mental health, it can reduce stress, as well as improve mood, self-esteem, and happiness. Helping others can help you live longer. Is that crazy? You can actually live longer. Volunteers show an improved ability to manage stress, stave off disease, as well as reduce rates of depression and, have, and you will have an increased sense of life satisfaction. Helping others makes you happy. It says that if you volunteer only five hours a month, research shows it will improve your mental health by providing neurochemical senses of, a, of reward. Is that amazing? So it helps your health. It can also help you if you have chronic pain. According to one study, people who suffered from chronic pain tried working as volunteers. As a result, they experienced a reduction reduction in their own symptoms. And lastly, anybody care about your heart? Did you know that you you hear all about heart, like eat your Cheerios or avoid red meat or whatever it is, right? Did you know that it says a regular volunteer schedule, if a rate, one piece of research showed that older individuals who volunteered for at least 200 hours a year decreased the risk of hypertension by a whopping 40%. I mean, that's crazy, right? God cares about our body, he made our body, and he says this will actually help your health. And even better, he cares about your heart. Our God cares so much about our heart and soul that he knows it actually will change our heart. This is my favorite part, is that doing good is a supernatural exchange. It says that not only is the scientific research proven with the health, but also that it changes your heart. You become more compassionate. You become more humble. You become more kind. You become more caring. So why don't we do it? Because you know who really doesn't care about our heart? The enemy. He doesn't care about your hearts and he surely doesn't care about your health. So it's super easy to get you distracted from doing good because he doesn't want those things for you. But our God does. He says, not only does a supernatural exchange, he actually tells us, our Bible explains how this happens. It says in Matthew 18, when you're serving children, it says, watch that you don't treat a single one of these children arrogantly, but that you serve them. You realize, don't you, that their, that their personal angels are constantly in touch with my Father in heaven. That's Matthew 18.10. So basically, serving children, you're serving angels. How, how supernatural of an exchange is that? Then it says, 
Proverbs 19.17 says, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Isn't that so amazing that we get to serve the Lord? Like actually the Lord. Is that amazing? And he'll reward us. So he's promising a supernatural exchange. There's so many verses, but I'll, I'll end with this one. It says Matthew uh, 25. The righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or give you something to drink? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. He's actually saying you get this chance to serve Jesus. It goes on and on throughout the Bible that you actually could be entertaining him sometimes. Is that physically entertaining him that he comes in disguise? So many times, like Kyle said, we have conversations with people who say, I wanna know Jesus, I wanna know the Lord, and that's the best way, is by doing good because it's a supernatural exchange. I wanna explain this in my own life. First, I wanna tell you that literally for 35 years, I have been in the recruiting business. I've worked in the church, and my job has been to recruit people to volunteer for 30 plus years. And I have watched families in crisis, I've watched teenagers who are spiraling downward. I have watched things that are happening in people's families and I have literally watched it completely change because they started serving with each other. They started taking their families, said no matter what, we're gonna go serve and their families changed, their marriages changed because they started serving, because the supernatural exchange happens. They get their rewards, they get their blessings. It, it all takes place and this happened to me. So I was, uh, this was Sunday school, doing good, asked to do good. There's always, there's always a need in Sunday school. We, we, we pushed it this morning, but there's always a need in Sunday school. And it seems tiring. You think, oh my gosh, Sunday school, how am I gonna do that? I had three little ones at the time and I was super exhausted. So I was doing my part and I went to volunteer and I really didn't have a great heart going in, um, but I did it. So the teacher was overwhelmed at the time. She was handing out all the assignments as quick as she could, and she said, here's a bag, it'll explain itself. And so my job was to teach three-year-olds about Noah's Ark. And what we were supposed to do is we we're taking out the little, um, kind of, we had these little uh, props. And so with each prop, we would tell the story. So I had 33-year-olds. Just imagine that. Okay. So... Yeah, bless me, bless me at the time. Um, so we take out the little bag, and it had little animals. I was handing out the little animal, I said, see, God cared about the animals, he saved the animals. She talked about that, and then we take all the animals back, and then we handed them little globes. I said, he cares about the whole world. And then we, I sang to them, he's got the whole world in his hands, he's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. And then the next part were little mirrors. So he handed out the little mirrors and my job was to sing to each one of the kids that he has their world in his hands. So I sing. He has Crystal's world. In his hands, he has Crystal's world. In his hands, he has Crystal's world. In his hands, he has Crystal's world in his hands. And then the little kids were supposed to sing to the teacher. So my little mirror, they all sing. 
He has Miss Holiday's world. In his hands, he has Miss Holiday's world. In his hands, he has Miss Holiday's world. In his hands, he's got her whole world in his hands. And there was the supernatural exchange. I met, went to go do good, but God blessed me. He reminded me that he has my world in his hands. He knew what I was holding that day. He knew how much I had, and I was blessed. That's what he wants to do for you. He has all of your worlds in his hands. He knows what you're carrying. He knows what stress that you have. And he's saying, I want to exchange that with my goodness, my compassion, my health, my love. He has your worlds in his hands. So as we do every week, I believe what I said at the beginning. God's speaking to you. And I want to give you a chance to meet with him and respond. I believe that Jesus and Peter and this journey has given you a way to live the simple life by praying and doing good. So I'm going to give you a chance to do that. So if you would, just close your eyes. First thing I'd ask is, what has God been saying to you this morning? What's the, the thought, the worry, the fear? What's maybe some of the emotion that you went through or experienced this past week or even today? And just think about why. Why it hit you. Why it stuck with you. Why those thoughts are swirling inside of you. Maybe imagine yourself just holding all of that. And as you do that, just offer that to God. Maybe just picture yourself holding it out for Him to take from you and let Him take it. Let him speak into it. Let him give you the comfort or the peace or the wisdom, the healing, the freedom that you're desperate for, that you could never create on your own. Father, continue to speak to every single one of us. I pray that our lives of prayer and communion and conversation with you grow more and more each day, become far more than just this moment, but something that we would look forward to just sitting with you, meeting with you, hearing from you. Speak to us.